Good morning. I greet you in the name of the one who was born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. Um, we're happy that y'all are here today. Bless you. Um, Julia, Bryce, uh, thank all of you. It was really great it was. to have y'all. And Gracie and Entourage, thank y'all. <laughs> thank you so very much. Um, real quickly before we get into our lesson today, if I can remember, I have three quick announcements. Number one, Jerry and Kim, thank you for the Christmas party last Sunday night. I don't know that I've ever been to anything any nicer. Uh, it was great. And uh, I really appreciate the investment that you uh, did and do make in the life of our church. Thank you very much. It was great. I mean, really great. Um, second of all, thank you. All of you, for your faithful giving to our little church, um, uh, the Lord is very kind to provide more than enough resources for all the things that we need to do and feel like we're supposed to do in the life of our church. It always uh, amazes me uh, how God puts it on y'all's hearts to give so kindly and generously and faithfully um, so that we can function and uh, pay the bills. And I can honestly tell you that I don't think, uh, as far as I know, there's not one penny that y'all have ever given to the life of our church that isn't used in a way that you would want it to and in a way that reflects what we tell y'all each year the budget's going to you know, this is the budget, this is what we're going to spend the money on, and I don't know of a penny that is not spent accordingly. And so I think that that, uh, you know, I just want you to know that. I'm grateful, and I want you to know that the money you give goes where it's supposed to go, and we're not using it on craziness. Um, and then lastly, we're not going to meet here next Sunday morning, uh, which makes the Botanic Garden staff very happy. And uh, it also makes Christ Community Church staff very happy. Um, I know that most of you will have places to go and people to be with. Good for you. If you don't have a place to go next Sunday morning, or you just want to gather with God's people, uh, Shirley and I are going to open up our home. And uh, I'll send everybody, you know, the information. It'll, it'll be at 10.15, give or take. And, well, I'll send you your, the address and everything. But uh, I'd love to invite y'all to our home. And uh, we're, um, we're just going to have some refreshments and a little study and uh, some yummy food. And um, if you'd like to come, sure, we'd love for you to do that, okay? Um, I think that I forget anything. I can't think of a thing. Okay. All right. Well, let me pray for us. Ooh, Lord Jesus. We gather today because our hopes and our fears are met in you. Our hope that your coming and living and suffering and dying and resurrecting is sufficient to deal with our sin, 
to defeat the enemy and death and to unite us with you as a family, as children of God. That is our hope. That is what we put our faith in. That's what we trust in. Lord, there is a fear, a fear that uh, we won't be accepted, won't be loved, won't be forgiven. But God, you have promised us in your word that you are enough. And that you are um, that which we were created for. And um, we pray today that you would work and move and speak and heal and save and encourage. Please speak to us and help us and have mercy on us, I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Um, when you think of the characters in the Christmas story, Mary, Joseph, the wise men, the shepherds, that'd basically be the, the main ones. Um, I don't know what quality stands out in your mind as far as what, what quality defines these people, what quality drives these people. Um, I was, if, if we're not going to do it just for the sake of time, but I thought about even asking y'all what, what quality stands out when you think of Mary, when you think of Joseph, when you think of the different characters. Um, the quality that I was thinking about this week was just their willingness to trust God um, in, in such amazing ways, the wise men uh, having these writings of Daniel from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years earlier and his testimony and instructions being passed down within the little order of the wise men generation after generation after generation and they're looking up into the skies and never seeing anything and then they see this dead gum star and they um, they just trust that what they had heard what they had read in the writings of Daniel what they had heard through the testimony passed down from Daniel they trusted that it was true the shepherds seeing these angels and hearing these angels and they trusted um, that what they were told was true Gabriel appearing to Mary and to Joseph. Um, uh, 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 what uh, uh, Elizabeth's trust, Mary's cousin. Um, these people, they trusted that what they were told was true or it would come to pass. Doesn't mean they didn't have doubts and fears, but they trusted. And I find their ability to trust, to, to actually believe what, what God was saying to them, that God was, his words were trustworthy. I find that to be very 
significant and humbling. Um, don't miss the, that one of the intentions of the two gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, they wrote their accounts of the Christmas story with the intention of highlighting the faith of people that it was surprising that they had faith and contrasting that with the with the lack of faith of people that should have had faith the uh, 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 the, the religious leaders when Herod came to them and said you know what's going on about this baby being born and they said in Bethlehem they knew the scriptures but they didn't believe enough to go so they, they didn't have the faith to go this contrast of the people who should have trusted God even the, at the very basic level of men versus women in that day, one of the prayers of the Pharisees and the Sadducees was, Thank you, God, that I was not born a Gentile or a woman. Now what they were saying is, those are two groups that don't have faith. They don't have the spiritual DNA to really know and trust you. And then you see this faith of Elizabeth and you see and the faith of Mary. You, you see this contrast of faith. Uh, religious leaders who sh knew where the Messiah was to be born, but they didn't have any faith. The priest, like Elizabeth's husband, who you see the faith of Elizabeth, but you see the, the, the wavering, the doubt, uh, the, the, the uh, lack of trust of Zechariah. You see the lack of faith. There was another thing there that, that people who had wealth and education and nobility were obviously closer to God than people that were poor and ignorant. Everybody knew that in that day. And so you see the nobility, Herod, he's not going to worship the little uh, Messiah baby. The, the, the educated, the wealthy, the nobility, they, these people that should have had faith in the willingness to trust God, they didn't. Versus women. Uh, shepherds were unclean. They were not welcomed in the, in the temple. Because of their occupations, they, they were in a perpetual state of irreligious uncleanness. Foreigners, the wise men, they were not Jews. Uh, the poor, the, low, the lowest of classes of people. The, Matthew and uh, Luke want us to see this contrast in the, the shocking reality that people that should have had faith and trust in God didn't. And the equally shocking revelation that people that they should have never had real faith, they did. 
the more I read the Christmas story, I was doing my Jericho March every day and I would listen to it, you know, on my phone while I was praying for y'all and I just listened to it over and over and over again. And the thing that stood out to me was just this idea that um, of all the things that the Christmas story communicates, of many messages, none stands out as clearly and powerfully as the message that the God of the Bible that sent his son Jesus to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem, that God is a God who keeps his promises. He keeps promises that he makes recently, like the promise he made to Mary, the promise he made to Joseph, the promise he made to Elizabeth, the promise he made to the wise men and the shepherds. Those are very recent promises. But also the promises that he made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago to Isaiah, to Micah, to David, keep going backwards, to Abraham, keep going backwards, to Adam. That God is a God who makes and keeps his promises. He's a God that makes and keeps promises when they are Absolute, when they're very unlikely, you're going to go and find a baby in a, in a feeding trough? What's the odds of that happening? What mother would do that? And prom he keeps promises that are absolutely impossible. Virgins don't have babies. That's not possible. But when God says that something's going to happen, He keeps His promises and He does what He says. The Christmas story. It's the, it's the story of God fulfilling His promises to men, to women, to rich and poor, young and old, Jew and Gentile, clean and unclean, people that have strong faith, people that have wavering faith. But the thing that stands out to me the most about the Christmas story and its message that God keeps His promises, the thing that I don't believe Matthew or Luke would ever want us to miss is that at the end of the day, the story of Christmas, and you need to hear this, and you need, I want you to doubt me and go home and read and see if you don't come to the same conclusion. Shirley's about to read it. The Christmas story, at the end of the day, really is not that big a deal about any of the things that I've mentioned. The most important story, the most important message of the Christmas story is that God kept his promises to Abraham and to David. God made both of those men incredibly specific and at the same time far-reaching promises. Promises that were specific and far-reaching. Promises that were impossible. And yet, at the end of the day, 
the promises that God made to Abraham and to David, he kept them. Shirley, I want you to read, if you would, that, those passages. If you want to follow along, if you've got a copy of the scriptures, you can look in Luke chapter 1. But uh, read those two passages for me, friend. And as, as she reads these, I want you to listen to math, well, to Luke. This, you can do it in Matthew too. We're just going to use Luke's. Listen to Luke's challenge that God kept his promises to Abraham and to David. Listen for that. Miss the wise men. Miss the shepherds. Miss the, the Bethlehem. Miss these. Listen to, the, to, to, to Luke's message that God kept his promise to Abraham and to David. Okay. Starting in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, I love how she found her voice here, right? Mary asked her question, how can this happen? I am a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy. And, you will be, and he will be called the Son of God. And what's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her own age, old age. People used to say that she was barren. But she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. A better translation. That is, that's good. A better translation is that no promise of God will fail. That's what, that's what was really said. No, Gabriel said, no promise of God will fail. Go ahead. So now I'm going to read um, Mary's response. Okay. Starting in um, verse 46. The, mag the Magnificat. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his, lowly, of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors. Who? who wonder who those ancestors were. Abraham who? and his children forever. Yes. Okay, go ahead. Thank That's you. It. Okay. That's it. Uh, is that the end? Uh -huh. Okay, all right. All right, Abraham and his descendants forever. Um, if you go back and read Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and Genesis 17, 
And then if you go and you read 2 Samuel chapter 7, God made Abraham and God made David a very specific promise that one day God would send someone. Now they didn't understand who this was going to be. They had no idea about the baby in the manger or the wise men or the shepherds or Gabriel. What God told them, what God promised them was simply this. I'm going to send someone that is a descendant of yours. Abraham, it's one of your descendants. David, it is one of your descendants through the royal line. And this individual that I will send one day will be the source through which that I will provide salvation for the world and blessing for the world. I will save the world through this person. I will bless the world through this person. In Psalm 89, the psalmist says it this way, I will, or God says through the psalmist, I will never stop loving David, nor will I fail to keep and fulfill my promise to him. And that, the context of that is, it was his promise to send a Messiah through his line. That's why Luke, it's such a big deal to Luke, that Joseph was a descendant of David. Matthew emphasizes that Mary was a descendant of David. And we're going to get to that in a minute some more. In Psalm 132, it says, God made David a promise that he would never take back. I will put one of your descendants on your throne. And then in Hebrews 11, it says, By faith, Sarah, though past childbearing, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made her a promise. So from Abraham through, um, so, so from Abraham, though also too old, came descendants as numerous as the stars and the sand. And then I find it most significant that the way the New Testament introduces Christmas. Matthew, first book of the New Testament, chapter 1, verse 1. The very first book, uh, very first statement in the New Testament. The way they introduce the New Testament, the way they introduce the idea of Christmas. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. What are these writers trying to say to us? They're trying to appeal to us, to tell us, to beg us, to consider the, 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 the reality, the truth, that the God who kept his promises, old promises to Abraham and David, new promises to the wise men and to the shepherds and to Mary and Joseph, that the God who made promises to these people and then kept these promises to these people, He will keep His promises to you and to me as well. Psalm 118 says, It is better to trust in the Lord who is trustworthy than to trust in people who are not. Psalm 125 says, People who trust in the Lord 
are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken and will endure forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forever. And the most important chapter in the whole Old Testament for me is Psalm 37. And that's too long to, we don't have enough time to go into all that, but the, to summarize Psalm 37, David says, or God says to David in this psalm, in Psalm 37, he says, don't trust in people. They are fickle. They're undependable. They're, they're inconsistent. Rather, trust in me. David, trust in me. I will be faithful. I am trustworthy. I will keep my promises. I end with this. I find it very significant when I read the Bible. From beginning to end. I do it every year. The Bible repeatedly tells me that we ought to love one another. We ought to serve one another. We ought to pray for one another. We ought to encourage one another. We ought to forgive. I don't know if I said forgive yet, but we ought to forgive one another. And on and on and on. We, we ought to weep with one another. We ought to rejoice with one another. There's, I forgot, I think there's like 27 or 28 one another's. Do you know what I find amazing? Never once does the Bible ever tell us in command or does it infer that we should trust one another. Bible never tells us to trust one another. Don't you find that odd? Don't you find that interesting? Do you know why? I believe I know. Because all those other things, loving one another, forgiving one another, encouraging one another, praying for one another, serving one another, weeping with one another, and on and on and on, those are all choices. They're acts of my will. I choose to do those things or I choose not to. I don't believe trust is an act of the will. I believe trust is the response that I give to another person whose life and words have proven to be trustworthy. If somebody speaks and behaves in certain ways long enough in front of me, I can't help but trust them. You know what's going to happen tomorrow morning about 6.45? I bet you a million dollars. Sun's going to come up. I trust the sun to come up. The sun's behavior has forced me to trust it. It always does the same thing. It is, its behavior has proven to me to be trustworthy. God continually invites us to get to know His character. His promises, His behaviors. The goal being that if you and I will ever take the time to really get to know the God of the Bible, the response that will occur 
is that we will trust him. The reason I don't trust him, the reason you don't trust him, is because we have never really gotten to know him. To trust his character. Um, I had the privilege of growing up a big chunk of my childhood and all of my adult life being around Shirley's uh, dad. And um, um, you couldn't be around her dad very long without trusting him. Because he was one of those rare people. He didn't, he didn't say a whole lot. And he made even fewer promises. But if he made you a promise, if he said he was going to do something, as the old country song says, you could take, he, he could borrow money at the bank sitting on his word. He was that way. He was just, he was a man that if he said something to you, he was going to do it. And his behavior was so consistent as you watched just every area of his life. He just, you trusted him because you couldn't help but trust, trust him. Numbers chapter 23 says, God is not human that he should lie, nor is he a human being that he should change his mind. Does God speak and then not act? Does God promise and then not fulfill? As much as I honor and revere um, her dad, at the end of the day, there's only one person that will never tell us a lie. That will ever say he's going to do something and not do it will ever act inconsistent with his character, with who he is. If I'm surprised at God's actions, that is an indication that I don't understand his character. Because God always operates consistently with who he is, with his character, with his nature. Part of that is that God will never make a promise that he doesn't fulfill. He always keeps his word. I find it very significant in Joshua chapter 21. Joshua standing before all the people of Israel. They've just gotten into the promised land. And Joshua stands up in front of mm, four million people, give or take. Three, four million people. And he says this, he says, not one of God's good promises has ever failed. What's more miraculous than that declaration is the next thing the Bible says. Silence. Not one person of the three or four million raised their hand and said, that's not true. Not one. Not one of God's good promises has failed. And three or four million people out there, and every one of them said, that's right. If you go back and read the story of Israel getting from Egypt to the promised land, they still had lots of problems. 
They still had lots of failures. They had still had lots of suffering. They still had all kinds of needs and issues. It wasn't that Joshua was saying everything that happens to people, the people of God, is good. No. In fact, much of what happened to the people of God as they went from, the, uh, from Egypt to the promises was not good. But the people of God had to acknowledge of the things that God promised us, He was faithful to do every one of them. I would suggest to you, and I don't believe there's a greater need in your life or mine, And that is the need in our lives to clearly understand what the promises of God are. Because I listen to people all the time who are telling me, oh, God promised me this. And I'm going, well, I've read the Bible through from beginning to end, every word of it, 150 times. I didn't know that was in the Bible. Where is that in the Bible? Well, it's in there. Where is it in there? Where is it in there? When we get upset with God not keeping His promises, my question is not, is God faithful to His promises? My question is, have I misunderstood or misapplied that which I was hoping God might do? I would just encourage us today and in the days leading up to Jesus' birthday. Just to ponder, to reflect. Do I trust that God is faithful? Do I Am I able to depend upon the trustworthiness of God? When Washington lets me down, when the World Health Organization lets me down, when the news medias let me down, when my parents or my mate or my children or my friends or my church, my workplace, when I am constantly reminded of the foolishness of putting up my trust in people and in places that have no character, no integrity, who consistently declare by their not keeping their promises or their inability to keep their promises. Am I able to declare in the midst of a world full of people and systems that cannot and are not trustworthy that that baby who was born in Bethlehem and grew up and lived and died and rose again and has told me that he is with me, 
that he is committed to my good, he is at work in my life, that he is working all things together for my good, that he is greater than every problem and need and enemy in my life, and that he is, will one day come again and make right forever that which isn't right today. Will I make the... the can, can I trust him? Can I trust his promises? Will I do that? If you and I are struggling to do that, I would challenge you to consider that you don't know him. And where I struggle to trust him, it's because I don't know him like I should. I don't understand his nature, his character. The problem's not with him. The problem's with me. And I would add one more thing, just for good measure. I'm so happy you're here today. Bless you. Bless the Lord for bringing you here. One of the ways that God helps us learn to trust Him is by surrounding us with people who trust Him. Gathering together with others that have faith in God's trustworthiness, who know and are banking on God's promises, who understand who God is, and that gives them hope and joy and faith. Being around them, it impacts us in good ways. And when we live lives of isolation from people of faith, that impacts us in very bad ways. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. My faith is impacted by God's Spirit and God's Word and God's faithfulness. But it's also impacted by the faith of others. There's something powerful about being around people who believe. <laughs> oh, it helps me believe too. Christmas. I know of no greater reminder that the God who kept his promises to Abraham and David and to Mary and Elizabeth and Joseph and the wise men and the shepherds. That God is going to keep his promises to you and to me too. I promise you. He, better yet, he promises you. Love you. Um, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Who's going to help me today? Oh, man, got the A-team. All right, that's good. That's good. <laughs> the hopes and fears of all the years of mankind, they are met in the life of this one that is represented in this bread and wine. Our hopes and our fears they're met in thee tonight. Um, we eat and we drink that which we have been told represents the blood and the body of Jesus. And we do this to 
declare to God, to declare to one another, to declare to ourselves that He is trustworthy and He is faithful and that what He did on the cross, He has told us is sufficient to pay for our sins and to unite us with God in a family relationship as our father, as our husband, as our brother, as our king. If you believe that, if that's where your hope is, then I invite you to eat and drink with me.